Hey, Pasa Mufasa, welcome to the Mycopreneur Podcast. This is a podcast about people solving problems with mushrooms. I'm your host, Dennis Walker. Let's get down to business. Okay, Pasa Mufasa, welcome. Andrew Langevin from Nature Lion Mushroom Farm. Thanks for joining us on the Mycopreneur podcast. And how are your mushrooms looking today, Andrew? Hey, Dennis. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Mushrooms are looking good, actually. We're just uh, harvesting some black oysters today. So there's lots of fungi growing at the farm right now. And there are more and more mushroom farmers every day, thanks to the inspiration of people like yourself who are doing it and showing that it can be done. But I'm curious, what on earth possessed you, Andrew, to decide to start Nature Lion Mushroom Farm? Out of all the things you could have done with your time and energy, what were some of the key moments you had early on that made you think this was the right path for you? You know, mushrooms have just kind of always spoken to me in in a sense. But uh, what really happened was I was working full-time in the film industry for the last 10 years. Uh, In Toronto, it's a very busy industry. They're making all sorts of TV shows and movies and stuff down there. So I was working actually in the transportation department. So nothing to do with horticulture, botany. My background's not in that. As everybody knows, our good friend COVID hit and we were kind of all out of a job like a lot of us, right? So the film industry was one of the hard hit sectors. A lot of people got sent home. I was one of them, my wife included. So we were there scratching our heads and just thinking, what can we do with our time that when everybody's on a lockdown and, you know, we can still kind of generate some income for ourselves. So it started that way. It was very small and organic. And I approached a local mushroom, uh, sorry, a local farmer's market. And I was a bit nervous to, to get in there to sell these mushrooms that I started growing in my basement all of a sudden. Right. So it went well. We approached the farmer's market. They accepted us. We started just kind of selling fresh oyster mushrooms to people in Hamilton. And it was really well received. People came, they, they started coming back. They wanted oysters. We were growing lion's mane. Um, and all of this was in the basement of my home. So it was just kind of like we took the leap. We bought some equipment, you know, invested, you know, $10,000 and just basic primitive stuff like pressure cookers and grow tents and lighting and ventilation and all of the all the setup you need right so what basically you know possessed me to do all this was just like because of the lockdown the only thing that was going was the farmer's market you couldn't go to malls you couldn't go to restaurants so people were you know baking bread and doing things at home so it was one of those things just we took the jump into it and i'm really glad that we did because we spawned this whole idea of mushroom kits because not generally not necessarily my you know my idea but this idea came to me to do mushroom kits because we wanted to foster that sort of mushroom growing thing with with other people right it's an amazing practice to i don't have you done it before Absolutely. Yeah. I started off with a kit like many people do. I've kind of progressed a little bit. I don't have a commercial operation in any sense of the word, but I'm always puttering around. You know, I successfully grew some reishi last year and I've got a bunch of that downstairs. 
And I've experimented with lion's mane to a limited degree of success, but there's something very humbling about mushroom growing as, you know, even after, you know, I started during lockdown too. I think a lot of people recognized we had more time on our hands. Mushrooms were having a moment, dove into it. So that, that's sort of how I came. So I can totally appreciate you there in your basement with your wife trying to figure out how to make mushrooms work for you. Yeah, we're not in the basement anymore. So we have uh, a small facility. It's 3,000 square feet. And there we're growing fresh mushrooms for the farmer's markets. We do three markets a week, and that keeps us pretty busy. But we're also selling the grow kits on more of like a wholesale scale. So we're selling to different garden centers, grocery stores, and we're trying to really get it out there at a good price so that people can get their hands on it. And I find that growing mushrooms, it's it's super fascinating. And not only that, but it kind of teaches you how to appreciate where they come from because it it's not necessarily the easiest thing in the world it's easy to start with a kit but if you really dive into the whole uh, aspect of mushroom growing there's so many different avenues there's mushroom leathers there's medicines there's uh for food right and there's all these different building materials and 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 things like that so it's kind of it's the entry level way to kind of get your hands on something and i thought i find for kids it's perfect like it teaches them about food teaches them where it comes from it helps them kind of respect the food and where it comes from and by doing that i hope we're inspiring young minds to help sustain themselves at home a little better on their own right maybe they start a backyard garden and they're growing oyster mushrooms on bales of straw out there like that's what we're hoping to achieve is that people can kind of be self-sufficient. They start with a kit. You can expand that to 10 pails, grow your own mushrooms for you and your neighbors. And maybe your neighbor's growing something else and you guys can trade and, you know, go back to that sort of barter system where we're not spending money, but, you know, things cost a lot less when you're doing it that way, right? Absolutely. And you mentioned the oysters, but you're also now doing lion's mane. I'm just curious, what kind of kits are you offering? Well, we have lion's mane and we have three kinds of oysters. There's black oyster, pink oyster, and the white oysters. And they're pretty cool. Like they grow in two to three weeks. You cut them open, mist them with water. You get your kids to do that. And then you harvest them and you cook, you know, possibly the freshest mushrooms you've ever eaten in your life, right? Because they're, they're still technically still alive when you pick them so um there it's quite fascinating and it it also helps kind of people wrap their heads around mushrooms themselves like a lot of people are used to button mushrooms and cremini and there's nothing wrong with those those mushrooms but that's been the staple for the last you know 50 to 100 years now things are starting to turn more to like you know the wood loving species of mushrooms and just more rare exotic types of mushrooms and people are kind of wrapping their minds around like how do i cook this and you know it, it's a it's kind of a learning process and i think that the grow kit helps a lot of people even just who aren't even into mushrooms possibly become you know mushroom fans down the road right so that that for us is big because it takes away from you know the the meat industry um and, and it, it adds more I don't know, more variations of proteins that you can kind of take that do do replicate meat. So it's better for the environment and it's better for the planet as a whole. And that's, you know, what the company is all about is we're just trying to make the world a better place through mushrooms. I couldn't agree more. I was uh, I've been working on some 
content for Occidental College in Los Angeles, and it's in partnership with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs. And some people are probably familiar with these, but in case you're not, there's a range of 17 sustainable development goals that the United Nations have rolled out to try to decarbonize the earth and to create more regenerative and sustainable industries. And the more I was working on this content, doing you know e editing interviews and filming interviews with people in Los Angeles from the mayor's office and this and that and the other, I started reading about these goals and diving into them. And I started seeing this natural parallel where mushrooms, I believe, can address a lot of these goals. And like, for example, one of them is to you know reduce the amount of carbon offset from the meat industry. It's like, that's a pretty natural parallel right there where the more we're seeing people like Ecovative and there's a few other companies, I think they changed the name of this company. They have like a subsidiary that's doing mycelium meats. And I know some people, I've had people from Mexico on the podcast from the University of Nuevo Leon who are doing mycelium meats. It's not very accessible at this point, which is one of the key challenges though, is like you can order these things. I've, you know, talked to a few people who have had them, but like, it's not very accessible from a price point or in terms of popularity, but maybe we'll get there in the next few years. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is basically the technology behind growing these, these meats. Um, it's, it's kind of being held, you know, secret there, there are patents you can read through, but there's, not all the technologies there. We've tried doing it a little bit here and there, just, you know, experimental stuff. And we were able to get something, but it wasn't exactly, you know, the, this nice fluffy thing. So we're still working on that, trying to kind of develop, you know, different types of meat as well and working on trying to grow reishi leather. But at this point, it's all just experimental on the side of what we're already doing because we have the facility. So I figure we might as well be, you know, reading up on this and, and learning about it and kind of experimenting with it because, you know, there, it's still so young. There could be different ways of doing it that are better and faster, or like you said, you know, make it more accessible to people. So maybe they could even grow their own bacon, uh, oyster mushroom bacon at home, right? Like with some sort of a, a chamber, right? That, that controls the environment. Sure. And I, I think it's fascinating when people like yourself who don't have a strictly academic background with mycology or with biology come to mycopreneurism or to being a fungi entrepreneur because you're bringing a whole different lens and perspective to it. And I think that's how a lot of innovation happens is that if people are trained in one specific way of thinking and they approach problem solving or developing an industry from that perspective, it's somewhat limited by the language and by the, the optics that they're bringing to it. But when you have people who have you know, built a career as an electrical engineer or as you know, someone working in the film industry, et cetera, et cetera, and you're coming to being a fungi entrepreneur, bringing a totally different lens and like problem solving and creating and innovating from a different lens. So that's just something I think a, a few guests have mentioned that they see that as being valuable, like almost not having this strictly academic background, you know, which is also obviously very valuable in its own right. So I, I'd love to ask about some of the stumbling blocks that you had to overcome as an upstart mycopreneur, because I don't know of anyone who just rolls out of bed and runs a successful fungi-centric business right off the bat. Like there's always issues and then you have to overcome them. And that's kind of what 
determines if someone's going to be successful because ask any mushroom cultivator out there, like you're probably going to grow as much trike as you are mushrooms. You're going to get contam a lot. You're going to have certain elements of the business that take you a painstaking while to learn how to streamline and to learn how to cultivate and put it together. So I'm curious if, if there are any issues in particular that you can think of when you were just starting that kind of hampered you and maybe a solution that you thought of to overcome that stumbling block to get where you are today. Definitely. So, I, I mean, there, there are a lot of people that are trying to get into making grow kits and stuff like that. And at first I was just one of those people gung ho, ready to do it and ready to watch people grow at home. Right. But there were, you know, tons of stumbling blocks, definitely like contamination was a big issue. Definitely growing in the basement of your home was one of the you know reasons why we even left there because it, it was harder to control for sure. Um, your environment, um, you know, different things about mycelium, like how it grows, like you don't know that necessarily when you first start that if you grow the same uh, mycelium over and over and over again, it starts to degenerate and you really want to go back to like your starting point again. So those things we, we were, you know, stumbling with at first and some of the mushroom kits, they weren't growing properly or, you know, maybe the mixture was off or the water content. And like, there were so many different things that we picked up as we kind of went along and it all started from a Kickstarter, um, the grow kit. So we did a, a Kickstarter. It was fairly successful we we reached our goal which was great and then it was like okay how do we get these 375 grow kits out now right that we promised to everybody so that was kind of like it, it went really really well actually but down the road after that there was definitely some stumbling points and how we solved it was basically through like disinfection and and a, a really strong cleaning you know, having strong cleaning procedures that we did every time. Like, so before and after we did anything in the lab, it would be cleaned down with a bleach solution and washed. Everything would be wiped down. We would also sanitize our hands, proper clothing and equipment. And that was one of the things that once we changed those things, it, it was a totally different game for us. And we got a lot less contamination um, we also HEPA filter our labs now, so they're a positive pressure room, so nothing really bad can get in there when the doors close. So it's it, the, the air going there in there is constantly streaming through a HEPA filter. And then, of course, we work in front of two big flow hoods, so everything in there is super sterile. We clean it out, you know, again, before and after every time we use it, and that helps curb the contamination quite a bit. Another thing I noticed was that when you're sterilizing substrate, we use a low pressure steam sterilization technique. And a lot of people probably use this when they're trying to scale to bulk because pressure cookers are very expensive when you get into industrial ones and getting like an industrial system for that can be in the $30,000, $40,000 range. And that's not really like an entry level for most people, right? So we started with the steam pasteurization. And we noticed, you know, even just changing the timing on that, like we, we changed it from 24 hours to 36. And now we do 48 full hours of steam sterilization. And from there, we don't get any contamination. Like it, very, very rarely do we have something. And usually if we do, it's 
it's coming from somewhere else like it's coming from the grain spawn uh maybe it was sitting around a little too long or it had just grown some like blue mold green mold inside the middle and you couldn't see it and sometimes that happens and you'll get you know a string of 10 15 bags that are contaminated it's pretty much a lost cause with certain what i've noticed certain contaminations will wipe out the mycelium like almost immediately whereas others the oyster mushrooms kind of fight it out and it's like a battle or battlegrounds right and they're like mycelium battling trike and it's it's interesting to watch because oyster mushrooms generally uh they're eating right through it and uh, eventually colonizing that block so at first i was throwing out all sorts of blocks that i didn't really need to throw out i left them for another couple of weeks and they're fully colonized the you know the oyster mushroom just kind of eats everything in its path right so yeah that's fantastic and in some cases i guess they're eating plastic and things like that too which is Something I know like unicorn bags have have gotten into doing some of that stuff. I'm curious, in everyone's journey in this realm, there's usually some key mentors who have helped you with development along the way. Of course, I'm sure you've done your fair share of researching on YouTube University, you know, pouring through online forums and things like that. And one of the stumbling blocks that I've encountered is like there's so many different approaches to growing mushrooms. You know, there's so many different texts and like so many different perspectives and you could go a hundred different directions with that. So I'm curious in your own journey, who are some of the people who have inspired you and encouraged you, even if you've never met them personally, maybe someone whose work you've leaned into uh, for support and maybe continue to. And for, for my own journey, it was Trad Cotter, who I mentioned earlier, who really kind of inspired me to pursue sort of the mushroom universe at a deeper level and to pay more attention to what's going on. Juliana Ferchi, who I've been fortunate to meet in person and had her on the podcast. And she's fantastic. Just, I love Juliana because she was kind of a woman apart doing fungi research, sort of citizen science, unsanctioned research by herself for years, going back, you know, 20 plus years. And then obviously now mushrooms have caught on around the world and she's extremely well known, but I admire that perspicacity or that tenacity of someone just to follow their calling, even when there's not a tremendous amount of affirmation or public support behind you. So Juliana's great. Love Alex Dorr from Mushroom Revival. I've been fortunate to become friends with him and a lot of underground cultivators too. So I just love to hear if there are any individuals or even organizations that have inspired you and your journey with Nature Lion. Well, yeah, definitely. Like, uh, of course, I don't know, you know, everybody knows him, the man with the mushroom hat, Paul Stements. Uh, he's, he's an inspiration to me right from the beginning, not necessarily like down the growing journey, but just to get me involved with mushrooms. And I think he's a great spokesperson for the industry and just to kind of teach people the different avenues of where the, you know, mushrooms can, can take us. Um, as far as like learning to grow things like that, like, yes, I, I've dug through forums like the shroomery is an amazing resource. Um, most people are on there growing psychedelics, but a lot of the stuff crosses over uh, and can be applied to oyster mushrooms or lion's mane or whatever you're trying to grow. So that kind of information is super valuable. Um, like you said, there's a lot of different texts. So my advice there is to just kind of read up on it, read a few different texts and just pick one and run with it because if it worked for somebody else, either you can make it work for you, right? So there's so many different, you know, substrates you can grow on. You could grow on cardboard or you could grow, you know, so all of these different things, like I've learned 
from digging through the forums, really. Um, YouTube is a great source of knowledge, too. Um, I find it just doesn't dig deep enough for like somebody who's really trying to start a, a, a business growing mushrooms. But it's great for introductory if you want to just start getting your hands on gr learning to grow mushrooms with straw in your backyard. There's guys on YouTube. I mean, Willie Michael, he's he's there teaching all sorts of techniques about psychedelics and how to, how to grow them. And uh, sure, he talks a lot, but the point is there, right? So he he gets the information across and he's teaching. And there's I, I can't really think of any of the names right now, but there are some channels that I've watched on YouTube and I just scrolled through and watched all of their videos, you know, over a course of a few days. And, and this was this went on for a few months before I actually started uh, the business. So it was more or less just trying to grow a few bags in the basement and see what happened. And from there, we bought the equipment that we needed and, and scaled up so that we could do a farmer's market. But I mean, all the information, I'm a little skeptical on any one person giving me information because there's so many different techniques and, and ways to do it. So I kind of like established my own techniques based on maybe three different techs that other people were doing. And uh, for me, it works because we were able to like streamline making mushroom grow kits, which is the main core of our business. And we can make upwards of 1500 of them in a week now. So, you know, that to me was, there's nobody teaching you how to do that. Like, and, and believe me, I searched on Google, like how to make, you know, mass amounts of mushroom grow kits and like that kind of thing. It just doesn't come up. So, right. Nobody's going to, give you their business secrets necessarily so you kind of got to piece it together and it's a bit of a puzzle but uh, it's fun and that that's what makes it fun and we're like making equipment um for the farm like we have um and this was like a big advancement for us but we used to just pour the water in the bags with a the appropriate size cup that we found right or jar and now we've got a machine that actually measures the water out and it was simple to make the parts were found on Amazon. It was two, under 200 bucks. And now we have, you know, streamlined that process and different people in my life as well. So like my brother-in-law, he's a carpenter and he kind of came up with a shaping machine that we use to, to shape our grow blocks. And he did it all out of wood. It's something we want to have made out of, you know, complete stainless one day. But, uh, it, it's a work in progress. So we've, we've made that it doesn't exist anywhere else, but now we can kind of shape our grow blocks and seal them all at the same time. And it, it saves us a ton of time and it also makes the block look nice and fit into the box better. So those kind of influences, um, early, early on family, uh, investors like my sister, parents and, and friends that I've grown up with my whole life, they, they all wanted to kind of get involved with the mushroom business too, so they were giving me a little bit of money to help get the farm up and running. Um, so it was pretty much a, a collaboration. And I still lean on those people all the time when I have a graphic design issue that I want to solve. I do like all that stuff myself. So I like to rely on the people around me to help me, you know, is this a good idea or a bad idea? And at least these people can tell me if it's a bad idea. So Yeah, that's super important to have that brain trust. You know, that's how my wife and I have a small media company and like it just it's worked really well because I'll get these ideas and she'll be like, that's not going to work. That's not a good idea, you know, and vice versa. And I think having, you know, that brain trust is really important, which is 
I guess sort of like the premise of the podcast is just to get a bunch of different people on and like have, you know, them share their experiences and everybody draw bits from each other. You, you can draw inspiration from each other. And, you know, your story right now is reminding me of like a few other people that I've visited their mushroom farms and who kind of like, you know, bootstrapped and then built it themselves and then scaled and got to a point where you're at a bigger scale than like a lot of, you know, smaller upstart farmers where you've got the more industrial size equipment, things like that. And one of the challenges that a few of these people have mentioned to me is the challenge of like trying to hire help, trying to hire people because mushroom farmers, once you get it kind of dialed in, it's very, it's uh, there's a word that I'm searching for, but it's very like suited to your sensibilities. Like you've set it up, you know how to do it. And then at some point, maybe you want to hire someone, you want to bring in like a part-time employee. And I've talked to a few people who have mentioned that they haven't had much success with that because they know how to do it. They know what they want, but then they'll try to hire someone on and expand the operation and it ends up complicating it and it ends up costing them money. I'm curious if your operation is still just limited to your wife and yourself or like a small operation or have you been able or considered hiring on help to expand? Well, my my wife and myself did everything from the early beginning we had a baby in december so that kind of changed things there right in that relationship so i I did have to hire uh my first employee which was a a big stepping stone for sure and uh you know obviously a risk too so uh we hired somebody in uh, october of last year and actually it it definitely helped things progress for sure because you know you're running a business you want to be growing mushrooms and and working the farmers markets and doing all that stuff. But at the same time, you want to be expanding. So it gave me more time to focus on sales and my website and, you know, making all that stuff perfect so that we can get more business to hopefully employ more people, because that's really the goal here is to build a business that, you know, benefits the community through food and also, you know, employs people and hopefully in a place where they're happy to work. So we have two guys working for me now. Uh, They're great guys, James and Connor. And uh, they actually started this year. So uh, we had a bit of a slow period in in January, February. Um, So they started in the spring this year. um, And they're working out great. They they didn't have like a mushroom farming or any sort of background in it. Uh, other than, you know, maybe maybe a dabble in psychedelics here and there, right? So, um, but they, um, they're turning out great because they're impressionable, they're young, and they're eager to learn about growing all these different mushrooms. So I found the response was great when I posted for a job. Um, we had a lot of people apply, a lot of great people um, who were really, really into mushroom farming. Um, some people that did it as a hobby and they just wanted to do it as a, as a job. And it was, it was amazing to see the actual response. I was surprised because, you know, it's not necessarily the highest starting wage in the world, but I hope that as a company, we're all going to grow. Like um, I hope my guys and I train them for everything. They're, they're doing sales. They're doing a little bit of, you know, they're growing, they're doing deliveries and stuff like that. So we're trying to train them in, every aspect of it so that maybe one day they are managing the floor of guys that are making the mushroom bags and, and, you know, or managing the sales team that goes out and actually sells our products. So I, I think that as long as you hire people that are the right fit for the job and they're eager, then 
it's it's easy because those guys are are helping you make money instead of you know a guy that shows up for work and maybe isn't too keen on the job it's very laborious job so you know maybe you, after a while it's not for you right so i think it, it's definitely it's hard to hire somebody because it's not the job for everybody but there are a lot of people especially nowadays that are eager to learn about mushroom growing and maybe they want to start their own businesses down the road too and that's something i'd totally be into like helping them foster that into a, a business down the road right i've helped a few people just mentoring now and my knowledge isn't you know that vast but i've had people calling me how do i do this how do i do that i want to i want to sell at a farmer's market so you know i'd spend a few hours on the phone kind of coaching them what you need to do this and that and and why you need it and why you should kind of buy better equipment and that kind of thing but um yeah it's been good and and we've been able to teach a lot of people i think about growing mushrooms like you know i don't know how many millions of spores have been released because of this company's creation but it's certainly been a lot you know that's a huge attribute and a bonus to be able to have people the right fit for the job to help you scale for sure and you know i listened to a podcast called tropical nba that's for location independent entrepreneurship and that's one of the questions they always ask is like how do you know when it's time to hire what's the best way to move forward with it because yeah if you if you're you've built a sustainable vehicle and you have all your ends covered i think everyone benefits from sustainable growth there so that's really cool that that's working out for you right now and you know you mentioned how you're primarily focused on the grow kits and you've got uh, the farmer's markets going on. But I'm curious if there are other avenues or horizons that you're pursuing right now or that you're interested in, in ratcheting up the business to support some of these maybe other newer projects on the horizon. Is there anything like that going on at Nature Lion? Recently, there's there's quite a bit going on. And that uh, to go back to your earlier point about knowing when to hire somebody, um, it's kind of when you're too busy to do everything and you want to keep growing that's when you need to hire somebody. And it, it may be a hit for the first little while that you have to take, but in that time, it'll, it evens itself out, right? After you train your employees and you have more free time to go out and do the things that your business needs to essentially grow. So um, with that being said, we've been able to take on more customers in terms of fresh mushrooms. So we put out um, 50 pounds a week to a small farm. They do CSA boxes and they do farmer's markets as well. And they're located in Toronto in North York. It's called Sundance Harvest. And so they're taking on our mushrooms now. Uh, and we're working with some other restaurants and, and starting to get our fresh mushrooms into like places where they're making uh, delicious tacos and, and different sorts of dishes with them. So uh, that's another avenue of the business is there's this whole fresh side of the business. Um, there's also that avenue of wholesaling to other food vendors and, and retailers that are turning our mushrooms into other products. Like uh, one of our customers makes risottos. So he buys um, 50 to 100 pounds of mushrooms at a time and he's making risottos from them. And uh, so, I mean, that's, Another avenue, another avenue that we're going down to right now, because I think this is really important for everybody, is to get more mushrooms into their diet. So we're doing mushroom powders. So we've recently been approved by the CFIA, which for those that don't know, is the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. And uh, they've approved us to now process our mushrooms, which is kind of a silly 
thing in general because we're legally allowed to grow them and sell them to people. But um, as a business, you're not allowed to dry the mushroom or preserve it in any way without being licensed. So, um, so we were, we were able to accomplish that. We got licensed and now we can do mushroom powders, which I think are amazing in a smoothie. Um, lion's mane powder, we can't keep it on the shelves. We've been sold out of lion's mane for a couple of weeks now. Um, we're trying to get more online, but uh, people are really starting to know uh, the benefits of lion's mane for your memory and cognition and for your nerve support, right? It's uh, it's really a great mushroom and um, more, more and more people are starting to take it. So they want it in extract form. We also have lion's mane coffee that we, uh, we make ourselves. It's an instant coffee. It's all organic, really delicious. And people are, people are just starting to know more and more. So that kind of stuff I think is, is part of the future of, of food really is um, mushrooms for meats, uh, pro- sources of protein, but also just for nutrients. So you can, you can make like an awesome chaga tea with our powder, or you can just throw it in a smoothie and get the benefits of it like that really quick. So we're hoping to have a whole line of powders, reishi. Uh, right now we're doing lion's mane and chaga, but uh, we're growing some reishi right now, experimentally. And we're also growing some turkey tail. So depending on how those two things work out, those could be future products down the road. Fantastic. Yeah, I love all of the ones you just mentioned. And I've got a bunch of dried reishi. I'm not exactly sure what you know the best thing to do with it is. I've had a friend who's made some tinctures and I'm I'm partial to tinctures, but I have not personally done that yet. So love reishi, mushroom of immortality right there, I believe they used to call it in China. No, well, I was just going to say tinctures are like super easy to do uh, because you don't really need to go down this elaborate road of uh, an alcohol extraction and the stool extraction. All you really need to do is just basically simmer your mushrooms in some water, right? You're making an extract right there and then. So it's, it's super easy to do. You just take the mushrooms dried, you know, you can powderize them if you want it to happen a little faster, or you could just throw chunks in there. And you're essentially, you're making an extract for yourself. So you can throw that in your smoothie. It's not preserved the same way a, a, an alcohol-based tincture would, would be, but you can use it on a regular basis. So you just throw it in your fridge and use it in your smoothie daily or pour it in your coffee. And uh, it's just an easy way to like make a tincture. So I just wanted to like, you know, throw that out there for anybody that's listening is like, Hey, I kind of want to make those too. And you know, the alcohol extraction version is a little bit more complicated, but it it just takes a little longer and that's all. So, well, what does your daily mushroom, uh, functional mushroom supplement look like? Like, do you have a routine? You've got all these at your disposal. Um, you mentioned a few of the projects you're involved with, but I found it really interesting that Taro, who's the founder of four Sigmatic has a book out where and my friend's got a copy, so I was able to read through some of it. And he has a timetable that says what hours of the day and like when he takes what mushrooms. And I thought that was really valuable information to know like, oh yeah, you know, Rishi is more of an evening thing. I find chaga to be good in the morning. And don't quote me on these exactly, but if anybody looks up Taro, T-E-R-O, and just write like Taro Four Sigmatic book, it's sort of about his life story. And I thought that was a really interesting inclusion because yeah, we know that there's so many benefits to all these mushrooms, but like, you know, what is the best time to take them or, you know, what works for you might not work for someone else. So I'd just love to hear about what does your daily mushroom intake look like? 
Yeah, well, I'm not that regimented, definitely. Um, but I would like to check that out and uh, see which mushrooms are, you know, uh, supposedly better for the evening and afternoon and that kind of thing. Because it's one thing I never really even took into consideration. Um, my mushroom routine right now is because I'm, I'm super busy at the farm and we're doing farmer's markets and delivering to customers. So we're, we got a lot going on right now. Um, so mine is pretty simple. It's just a mushroom coffee in the morning and it's lion's mane. That's my mushroom of choice uh, to keep my brain healthy. Uh, I got a lot of thinking to do, right, as a micropreneur. And um, yeah, so it's lion's mane every day for me. Um, sometimes I will cycle that. And if I get right into it, um, when I'm feeling sick, I do a lot more with my mushroom extract. So I have all the tinctures in the cupboard, you know, you name it, I've got it in there. And I'll often make like a concoction of just everything I can find in the cupboard, including, you know, vitamin D, uh, B propolis, and kind of drink that with some lemon water. And I find that to be very healing, right? It's, it's great for your immune system, but it's not something I would do all the time. It's just something that you kind of, you know, flush yourself with, with all the different mushrooms. And then, uh, as far as like an evening goes, maybe a microdose before bed. Um, and that way, you know, I, I think my brain's being more active. Uh, I don't really dream a lot, but I know there's something going on when I'm sleeping, right? So I'm a big fan of the early morning or later night microdosing myself, maybe a mini dose sometimes, who knows? The mini dose before bed is, is good because, I mean, if you overdo it, it's, you might wake up, but if you do like a mini dose, you don't really feel it, but you know, like there's a lot going on in your brain, uh, you know, as it's working, it's magic. So I find personally the early morning, like if I can get up around 4am to be really beneficial because I feel like, and of course this is just my own opinion, but the world is very still at that hour. There's not a lot of the burdens you might encounter in a day where it's like, you know, you have to address things going on with your business or with your life or this and that. And like, I find it to be a moment of stillness and, and a lot of, I guess, like ancient wisdom traditions, people meditate or pray early in the morning. I think they're there and it's like the, the mind can be very still. And I find that to be a very fertile environment for having maybe a deeper resonance or maybe, you know, more readily hearing maybe some of the answers you're searching for. And I find that to be effective in my opinion, as opposed to, you know, there's lots of different ways you can take uh, psilocybin mushroom, of course. And I don't know that there's like a hierarchy of set and settings where like one is better than the other because things work differently for different people. But I've just always found like that stillness and like what I'm going for is like, I sort of sometimes want to recalibrate sort of my mental or moral compass to know like, you know, what, how do I solve this issue or where do I, you know, what, what do I do with my time and with my energy? And I can more readily sort of feel answers that way, just sort of a, a quirk that I've developed. Yeah. I, you know what, I'm the same way with the mornings. It's uh, early mornings for me because that, that stillness. It's, I used to be a night hawk and it was for the same reason, but on the opposite end. Right. But, uh, when I started running my own business, it just became more of a morning thing. And it was up at four or five because you want to get a couple of things done, you know, start your routine before you get on with, you know, running your business or answering emails or whatever it is you do. And that time is definitely cherishable. And I don't know if you've heard there, there was a study, a sleep study, um, where they put people in dark room for uh, for their sleeping for a few months, 
And they developed this natural sleep pattern where they'd wake up sort of in the middle of the night, um, halfway through the night, and they'd be in a meditative state more or less because there were no lights, there was no like external factors there. And they would stay in this meditative state for an hour to two hours before actually falling back asleep and finishing off the night's sleep. And that is like almost our natural rhythm is to like have that stillness, you know, to, to embrace that moment where you don't have to worry about anybody else or do anything else for the, for even for a half an hour, but uh, you know, better if it's a couple of hours, I think. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that, that stillness and whatnot. And I, I think that as all of the external stimuli that are bombarding us, you know, all day, every day, you have to have sort of a counterpoint to that and like a way that you can uh, detach from it and experience just your own self and and uh, hear yourself. And there's a saying that I like that's like muddy water sat still will clear. And I think that's a lot how the mind works is that like we are bombarded with daily external stimuli and like you had you know people on their phones before bed and after bed and things like that but like i'm trying to be very intentional about reading books as i go to sleep as opposed to like looking at the phone and you know uh, i'm not always super successful at that but i found that you know going back to analog like reading books more listening to vinyl spending time cooking with my wife things like that i find to be infinitely rewarding especially because so much of our daily lives seems to be occupied by you know, sending messages and responding to emails and staring at screens and things like that. And like we, I think it's really healthy to develop a counterpoint to that. Well, hopefully you guys are cooking lots of mushrooms in those meals. It's... Yes, absolutely. We are. And actually, it's the wild mushroom season here. As I mentioned, I've been finding lobster mushrooms at the market, which are a personal favorite of mine. If anybody's had the, I think the, what is it, lactiformis, something like that. It's actually like a a chanterelle that's uh, parasitized, I believe. I've been finding Romaria craterellis, which is similar to chanterelle. Found some old man of the woods, but I gave those to a friend. I'm not sure how tasty they are. But it's like, it's really exciting to go out and forage and also to spend time with local people, with my friends who are Chiapanec and mycologists who appreciate the taxonomy and the phylogeny and all that. And, you know, just yesterday, or actually uh, Tuesday, we went out and foraged and then cooked together. And there's something... You know, cultivating is amazing as well. Like I just met a, uh, a group of friends here who I'm probably going to go visit after this. And they run a, a mushroom-centric restaurant. They just opened it about two months ago. And it's all fungi that they cultivate, namely oyster mushrooms. They've got some shiitake. But I think like that's the perfect example of like, what a micropreneur can do and, and their community is like, they're also, you know, running educational workshops. So they're, they're cultivating the food. They're adding tangible value to the community and nutritious meals. And it's super exciting, you know, that these things are popping up all over the place. And like, I've never heard of a fungi-centric fungi restaurant in San Diego where I'm from, but I'd love to see one pop up. And I, I don't see why in the near future it wouldn't happen. Yeah, I think it will happen definitely in the near future. And that's it's great to see that, you know, even something so small can have an impact on so many people. And that you know, that joy kind of spreads out too, right? So somebody sees, hey, these guys are doing a fungus, uh, you know, all mushroom restaurant, like everything is mushrooms there. We should be doing that up here too. And that, and that, that kind of thing, it spreads and it's great for all of us because we, we need more of that and people need to experience more of these different mushrooms. What is like, just a question, like, cause 
uh, I'm not familiar with the mushroom market down there, but like, what is the most common uh, for you to find non like uh, not cremini portobello, anything like that, but like out of like sort of a more exotic varieties, is it oysters mainly? Do you, do you see a lot of lion's mane down there? Not at all. We find a lot of oysters that's most prevalent. And then interestingly enough, uh, a lot of the local indigenous women will sell something called yuyos. Those they'll have by the bucket full. And I'm working with some friends down here, actually on some documentary projects to document the wild mushroom selling landscape in the markets because it's been dwindling. Like about 10 years ago, according to my local friends, you could find all manner of different angus silvestres or wild mushrooms sold in the markets here. But they've sort of been decreasing in popularity for any number of reasons that we're trying to investigate why that is. And he actually went out with one of the local vendors to go forage and kind of follow him on his morning routine where he wakes up and they, they were selling, I think it was the um, Lactarius Deliciosa. It's like the orange uh, milk saffron, saffron milk caps. So we've seen those, we've seen honey fungus, we've seen Lactarius indigo, which are the blue so if you got the, the saffron milk caps, the orange ones and the blue ones, we'll see those. But like, I would say the most prevalent are those yuyos, those large amanitas, and they are very sizable. And, you know, it's kind of an interesting time here because you have a lot of ancestral knowledge about and connection to the fungi all throughout central and southern Mexico, especially in the rainy season. But you also have increasing levels of urbanization and sort of development and a lot of that could arguably be leading to the younger generations being less interested or less informed about the wild fungi. So there's a couple sort of projects of uh, local education outfits that are working to get into schools and to go out to communities to try to like spread those spores and teach people which fungi are edible and like, you know, which ones are delicacies because there have also been a couple of high profile mushroom poisonings including one in the last week. And that sort of led to an increasing level of mycophobia, which to some degree the government foments in the sense that at a local area hospital, there's actually a large poster or a banner that advises against picking wild fungi. So it's kind of like a really interesting dichotomy here where you have the ancient ancestral wisdom and Chiapas, the state I'm in, has about 50,000 estimated wild fungi, only 2% which have actually been cataloged and described by science. So there's, you know, an active effort underway to try to document and like describe and and research these different fungi at the same time as like the younger generations are growing less and less interested in them. So yeah, <laughs> I hope that answers the question. Well, Andrew, it's been a ton of fun today to have you on the Mycopreneur podcast and we're kind of hitting the sweet spot of the duration of the podcast. So before we let you go today, I'd really love to hear if there's Anything that you can share with us about new projects on the horizon for Nature Lion mushrooms or anything for you personally? And if you have any parting shots for our audience. Yeah, so uh, it was great being on the show. I really appreciate you having me here. Uh, it's a great exposure for our brand. And, um, you know, I just want to leave the audience with a note, you know, get out there and do it right? Like if you, if there's something you want to do, if you want to grow mushrooms in your house, if you want to supply a local farmer's market or grocery store, like you guys can do this. It's, it's not rocket science. All the information's there. You can reach out to, uh, you know, there's a lot of people you can reach out. You can reach out to me directly. 
send me an email, shoot me a call. Uh, I'm happy to help. I'm happy to coach you guys through it if you need any advice. Um, this is kind of what our passion is here at Nature Lion. We love to uh, inspire people to grow their own mushrooms and to take uh, matters into their own hands. So um, with that being said, it's been a great chat and I hope we can uh, get together and do it again sometime. There's so much to cover in the mushroom universe and so many mycopreneurs leveraging the infinite potential of fungi to create a more ecologically balanced, inclusive, and equitable world for all of us mischievous little monkeys. I am completely stoked that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time in our little corner of the mycoverse. Hop on the gram, say what's up, at Mycopreneur Podcast, that's the handle, don't get it twisted. We've got the full suite of social media up and running. Twitter, Mycopreneur. Got the YouTubes dialed in, Mycopreneur. Drop us a line. Tell your grandma and your kooky uncle. Tell your wife and your kids. If you're a Mycopreneur yourself, you want to hop on the pod, by all means, willkommen, bienvenidos, welcome. Don't be a stranger. Let us know your thoughts on this episode, and also let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. This is a team effort. Thanks for stopping by the Mycopreneur Podcast. Have a lovely day. We'll see you back here next week.